Section 6 of the Letters of Madame de Sévigné to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letter 16. The Rocks, Sunday, July the 12th, 1671. I have received but one letter from you, my dear child, which vexes me. I used generally to have two. It is a bad thing to use oneself to such dear and tender cares as yours. There's no being happy without them. If Monsieur de Grignon's brothers come to you this summer, they will be good company for you. The coadjutor has been a little indisposed, but is now perfectly recovered. He is incredibly lazy, and is the more to blame as he can write extremely well when he sets about it. He has a great regard for you and intends visiting you about the middle of August. He cannot before. He protests, but I believe it is false, that he has no branch to rest upon, which hinders him from writing and makes his eyes ache. This is all I know about Seigneur Corbeau. How odd it is of me to tell you all this, and I do not know myself how I stand with him. If you should know anything of the matter, inform me. I reflect every hour of the day upon the times when I used to see you always about me, and am perpetually regretting the loss of those happy moments. Not that I can reproach my heart with having been insensible of the pleasure of your company, for I solemnly protest to you, I never looked upon you with the indifference or coolness that grows upon long acquaintance. No, I cannot reproach myself with that. What I regret is that I did not see you so constantly as I could now wish I had, but suffered cruel business sometimes to tear me from you. It would be a fine thing to fill my letters with what fills my heart. Alas, as you say, we should glide over many thoughts without seeming to regard them. Here then I rest, and conjure you, if I am at all dear to you, to be particularly careful of your health. Amuse yourself, do not study too much, carry yourself safely through your pregnancy. After that, if Monsieur de Grignon really loves you, and is resolved not to kill you outright, I know what he will do, or rather, what he will not do. Have you cruelty enough not to finish Tacitus? Can you leave Germanicus in the midst of his conquests? If you really intend to serve him so paltry a trick, let me know where you leave off, and I will finish for you which is all I can do to serve you at present. We have gone through Tasso, and with a great deal of pleasure. We found beauties in him that are unknown to those who are only half read in the language. We have begun our morality. Footnote, Monsieur Nicole's Moral Essays, back to main text. It is of much the same nature as Pascal's. Talking of Pascal, I have taken it into my head to almost adore those gentlemen, the postillions, 
who are incessantly carrying our letters backward and forward. There is not a day in the week, but they bring one either to you or to me. There is one every day and every hour of the day upon the road. Kind-hearted people, how obliging it is of them. What a charming invention is the post. And what a happy effect of providence is the desire of gain. I sometimes think of writing to them to show my gratitude. And I believe I should have done it before had I not remembered that chapter in Pascal and been afraid that they might perhaps have thought it proper to thank me for writing to them as I thanked them for carrying my letters. Here is a fine digression for you. But to return to our reading. It was without prejudice to Cleopatra that I laid a wager I would read it through. You know how I support my wages? I often wonder how I could like such ridiculous stuff. I can hardly comprehend it. You may perhaps remember enough of me to know how much a bad style displeases me, that I have some taste for a good one, and that no person is more sensible to the charms of eloquence. I well know how wretched La Caprenède's style is in many places, on account of its long-winded periods and bad choice of words. I wrote a letter to your brother in that style the other day, which was pleasant enough. However, though I find such glaring faults in Caprenède, though I know how detestable that way of writing is, yet I cannot leave it. The beauty of the sentiments, the violence of the passions, and the miraculous success of their redoubtable swords entices me away like a child. I become a party in all their designs. And if I had not the example of Mrs. de la Rochefoucauld and d'Arqueville to comfort me, I should be ready to hang myself for being guilty of such a weakness. You appear before me and cry, Shame! Yet still I go on. I shall have great honour in being entrusted by you with the care of preserving you in the Abbe's friendship. He loves you tenderly. You are often the subject of our conversation, with your state, your grandeur, and so forth. He would not willingly die without having first taken a trip to Provence and rendered you some service. I am told that poor Madame de Monlouet is on the point of losing her senses. She has been raving hitherto without once shedding a tear, but now she has a violent fever and begins to cry. She says she will be damned, since her dear husband is inevitably so. We go on with our travel. The weather is very hot. But the mornings and evenings are delightful in the woods and under the shade of the trees before the house. My apartment is extremely cool. I'm afraid you suffer from the heat in Provence. Letter 17, The Rocks, Wednesday, August the 19th, 1771. You describe very humorously the disorder my perfumed paper occasioned you. Those who saw you read my letters must have thought I was dead, and could never imagine that they contained nothing but chit-chat. 
I am very far from correcting myself in the way you imagined. I shall always run into extremes in what is for your good, if it depends on me. I already began to think that my paper might do you harm, but I did not intend to change it till about November. However, I begin from this day. For the future, you will have nothing to guard against but the smell. You have a tolerable number of the Grignons with you. The Lord deliver you from the aunt. Footnote. Anne Ronano, Comtesse d'Arcourt. Aunt of Monsieur de Grignon. Back to main text. I feel her troublesome even here. The Chevalier's sleeves must have had a curious effect at table, but though they draw everything along with them, I much question whether they would draw me. Fond as I am of fashion, I have a great aversion to slovenliness. Vitre would be a famous place for him, I think. I never saw such profusion before. There's not a table at court that can come up to the meanest of the twelve or fifteen that are constantly kept up here. And indeed there is occasion for all this, for there are no less than three hundred people to be provided for who have nowhere else to eat. I left this good town last Monday after having made your compliments to Madame de Chaune and Madame de Murenay. Nothing could be more cordially received or more warmly returned. All Brittany was drunk on that day. We dined apart. Forty gentlemen dined in a lower room, each of whom drank forty toasts. The king's was the first, and then the glasses were broken. All this was done under pretense of extreme joy and gratitude for a hundred thousand crowns which his majesty had remitted out of the free gift the province had made him, as a recompense for their having so cheerfully complied with his request. So now there is only... Two millions, two hundred thousand livres, instead of five hundred thousand. The king, too, has written a letter with his own hand, full of the kindest expressions to his good province of Brittany. And this letter the governor read to the states assembled, and a copy of it was registered. Upon this they shouted, Vive le roi! and immediately fell to drinking. And drink they did, God knows. Monsieur de Chaune did not forget the gouvernante of Provence, and a Breton gentleman, going to toast you by your name, and not well remembering it, got up and in a loud voice exclaimed, Here is to Madame de Carignan. This ridiculous mistake made Monsieur de Chaune laugh till the tears came into his eyes. The Bretons drank it, thinking it was right, and for a week to come you will be nothing but Madame de Carignan. Some called you the Countess of Carignan. This was the state of things when I left them. I have shown Pominar what you say of him. He is highly delighted with it. But I assure you, he is so hardened and impudent that once or twice in a day he makes the first president leave the room, to whom he is a mortal enemy, as well as to the procurator-general. Madame de Cotwen had just received the news of the death of her little girl, and fainted away. She is in great affliction, and says she'll never have so pretty a one. Her husband is 
quite inconsolable. He has just returned from Paris, after having made matters up with Le Bordage. This was a most extraordinary affair. He has transferred all his resentments to Monsieur de Turenne. Footnote. Glory, which is the last passion of the sage, was not the only passion of Turenne, for at the age of sixty he was in love with Madame de Quetquen. Back to main text. I suppose you know nothing of this, but it fell unintentionally from my pen. There was a pretty ball on Sunday. We saw a girl of Lower Brittany, who, they said, bore away the palm. She was the most ridiculous creature I ever saw, and threw herself into such attitudes as made us die with laughing. But there were other dancers, both men and women, who were really admirable. If you ask me how I like my rocks after all this hurry, I shall tell you that I am delighted to be here again. I shall stay for a week or ten days at least, in spite of their endeavours to get me back. I want rest more than I can describe to you. I want to sleep. I want to eat, for I am starved at these fets. I want the fresh air. I want silence, for I was attacked on all sides, and my lungs were almost worn out with talking. In short, my dear, I found our abbe, la mousse, my dog, my mole, Villois and my masons, all as I left them. And they are the only things that can do me any good in my present condition. Letter 18, The Rocks, Sunday, August the 23rd, 1671. You were with the President of Shams, lady, then when you wrote to me. Her husband was the intimate friend of Monsieur Fouquet. Am I right in this? In short, my dear, you were not alone. And Monsieur de Crignon acted wisely in making you leave your closet to entertain your company. He might, however, have spared his Capuchin's beard, although he did not appear much the worse for it in your eyes. For when he was at Livry with his bushy tuft, quote, sa touffe et bourrifée, part of a bourrimé, filled up by Madame de Grignon, end quote, you thought him handsomer than Adonis. I often repeat these four verses with admiration. It is surprising what an impression the remembrance of any particular time makes upon the mind, whether good or bad. Sometimes I think of that delicious autumn, and then again, when I reflect on the latter part of it, I sweat with horror. Footnote, on account of a miscarriage that Madame de Crignon had at Livry, the 4th of November, 1669, back to main text. Yet we ought to be thankful to Providence, who delivered you out of the danger you were in. Your reflections upon the death of Monsieur de Guise are admirable. You have made me plough up my maw with my eyes, for it is there I meditate with most pleasure. Poor La Mousse has been afflicted with the toothache, so that for a long time I have walked alone till night and thought of God knows what I have not thought of. 
do not be under apprehensions of my growing weary of solitude set aside the ills that arise from my own heart and against which i have not strength to struggle i am not to be pitied in any respect i am of a happy temper i can accommodate myself to and be pleased with anything i prefer my retirement here to all the noise and pageantry of vitre i have been here a week and the tranquillity i have enjoyed has cured me of a dreadful cold i have drank nothing but water have talked very little have left off suppers and by this method without having shortened my walks i am quite well again madame de chaune madame de murenay madame fourchet and a very fine girl from nantes came here last thursday madame de chaune told me as she came into my room that she could exist no longer without seeing me that she had the weight of all brittany upon her shoulders and should die with fatigue she then flung herself upon my bed we sat round her and she was fast asleep in a minute from mere fatigue though we continued talking at last she awoke highly charmed with the ease and freedom we enjoy at the rocks we then took a walk afterwards she and i sat down to rest ourselves in the centre of the wood and while the rest were diverting themselves at mall i made her tell me how she came to marry monsieur de chaune for i always loved to fish out something by way of amusement but in the midst of our entertainment there came on so treacherous a shower like the one you may remember at livry that we were nearly drowned the water ran from our clothes in streams it came through the trees in a moment and we were instantly wet to the skin we ran as fast as we could some screaming others sliding others falling at last we got in a roaring fire was made we changed our dress from head to foot i furnishing the whole wardrobe we dried our shoes and were ready to die with laughing all the while in this manner was the gouvernante of brittany treated in her own government after this we had a slight repast and then the poor woman left us more vexed i dare say at the part she had to play when she got home than at the affront she had received here she made me promise to relate this adventure to you to come and assist her tomorrow in entertaining the states which will break up in about a week i engaged to do both of the one i now acquit myself and of the other i shall acquit myself tomorrow as i cannot help showing her this civility End of section 6